Before we get started, I would like to mention that next Sunday will be a special Sunday. We will have several people that will become members of the church, and we will even have a baptism. Um, so we would love to have you guys here next Sunday as a supportive community for those who are entering this church as new members and even being baptized um, as a reminder, too, of our own baptisms um, and the membership that we have in God's household. So remember that next Sunday will be a special Sunday. We'd love to have you guys here uh, for worship. Um, with that said, it feels a little bit gloomy outside and everybody seems a little bit tired. I think like we just need to stretch it out a bit. Everybody needs to wake up a little bit, including myself, I think. Um, if we were at VBS, I'd make you all stand up and do an energizer song. So you can thank me for not making you stand up and dance like a fool. So at the very least, we can put some smiles on our faces, right? Because we are in God's house this morning, and that is the best place that we could be. With that said, let us listen to God's word from Genesis 37, verses 1 through 11. Jacob settled in the land where his father had lived as an alien, the land of Canaan. This is the story of the family of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was shepherding the flock with his brothers. He was a helper to the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to their father. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any other of his children because he was the son of his old age, and he made him a long robe with sleeves. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peaceably to him. Once Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, Listen to this dream I dreamed. There we were, binding sheaves in the field. And suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright. Then your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. His brothers said to him, Are you indeed to reign over us? Are you indeed to have dominion over us? So they hated him even more because of his dreams and his words. And then he had another dream and told it to his brother, saying, Look, I have had another dream. The sun, the moon, and eleven stars were bowing down to me. But when he told it to his father and to his brothers, his father rebuked him and said to him, What kind of dream is this that you have had? Shall we indeed come, I and your mother and your brothers, and bow to the ground before you? So his brothers were jealous of him. But his father kept the matter in mind. Talk about some family drama. If you want to talk about family drama, just read through the book of Genesis. It is chock full of family drama. In fact, it's so full of family drama that maybe, just maybe, you can appreciate the frustrations of your own family a little more. Because, I mean, really, if you look at this story, this is a story of a man with a ton of children, and he has a favorite. My father used to have a favorite child, too, and he would tell us who his favorite was. It was a little Thomas weekly tradition, if you will. Now, it would rotate, because in fairness, we weren't always his favorite. This week, Desiree is his favorite, but last week it was Caleb. Well, 
because he mowed the lawn. My father had no qualms telling us who was his favorite and often telling us why. My father did this in jest, of course. At least I have to hope so. (laughs) But in truth, I never have doubted my father's love for all four of his children. But Jacob's favorite child, well, that is no laughing matter. Jacob loves Joseph more than the rest, and he's happy to show it with a big, flashy, colorful robe. Talk about some unfair gift giving, right? There's no gift for every child. There's no, well, I spent $100 on that child for Christmas, so I have to spend 100 on this one as well. None of this. Just one of the children gets a gift. Joseph. Because Joseph is Jacob's favorite. This is even more interesting when you remember who Jacob, Jacob is. Jacob is the twin of Esau. Jacob was not the favorite of his father Isaac. Esau was. Esau was the older brother, the one that was to receive the inheritance and the birthright. Esau was the favorite. Except in the eyes of Jacob's mother, where Jacob was the favorite. Again, talk about some family tension. Dad loves Esau. Mom loves Jacob. I think a little marriage counseling probably would have been in order in this particular situation. But if you think about it, this is classic textbook definition of childhood problems seeping into adulthood. Jacob was not the favorite of his father, and so in some twisted psychology, he decides that he will pick a favorite. Doesn't he know, out of everybody, what it feels like to not be the favorite child? After all, he was one in the eyes of his own father. But this is classic, textbook classic. The children of avoiders often become avoiders. The children of yellers often become yellers. The children of successful parents often become successful. Not always. Hear me on that. Not always. But it's a lot harder to break the family cycle, to break the family norm. I can hear Jacob saying, no, no, I would never be like my father. I would never have a favorite like he did. Yet, here we are. So because of this favorite child, there's some serious family drama between Joseph and his brothers. And then in our passage for today, we get this whole dream thing going on. And my question is, is Joseph really this naive? Is he really this dumb, it feels like to me? I can see him in his colorful robe, walking all haughty with this great dream he has. At least he thinks it's a great dream. And he gathers all of his brothers together and lets them know that one day they're going to bow down to him. Joseph is baiting his brothers. He's just asking for it. So finally, his father steps in. He steps in, and the text says he rebukes him. What is this dream you had? Maybe he's rebuking him for some youthful naivete or for lauding his dream over his family. Maybe Jacob knows that this is one of those dreams better left unspoken. And as Joseph continues to speak, 
I'm sure Jacob imagines the brightness of 11 stars, the sun and the moon clustered together in the sky, and then his eyes settle in on Joseph, and he rebukes him for being so foolish as to laud his dream over his brothers. But the text ends with this line, Jacob kept the matter in mind. Perhaps Jacob is the only one who understands the weight of the dream. Perhaps Jacob, who is no stranger to dreams, knows that the dream sounds great, but it will not be convenient. They never are. That's what our Isaiah text was about, a God that does new things. But a new dream means that God is unsettling things. It means that God is coming to shake things up a bit. Jacob is an old man at this point, and I can imagine he is tired of new dreams and new visions because whenever they come, they are inconvenient. If you remember, Jacob had his own dream. It was of a ladder, which promised him that his descendants would be spread out to the east and west, to the north and south. What a beautiful dream. Not even a chapter later, things get a little complicated. He goes off to find himself a wife, and he does. Rachel, it's like one of those beautiful romantic comedies. Upon seeing her at first sight, he knows this is the girl for him. But he'll have to work for seven years to marry her. But she does. Seven years later, he thinks he gets to marry Rachel. But there's a complication. Rachel has an older sister, Leah, and the eldest daughter needs to marry first. So they play a little trick on Jacob the trickster, and he marries Leah on accident. Furious, he commits to working another seven years to marry Rachel, too. All of this because of this dream, this dream which promised him descendants that would spread out to the east, to the west, to the north, and the south. This dream, though, was nothing but inconvenient. 14 years of hard work just to marry the woman he loved. So, when Jacob hears that his favorite son has been dreaming some things, he gets worried. This dream sounds good, but getting there? That may not be any fun. What I don't understand about the text is why Jacob doesn't pull Joseph aside and give him a little how-to booklet on what to do with dreams, like steps one, two, and three of dealing with a God-given dream. There's no fatherly advice here, just a rebuke. Because with this dream that Joseph has, Jacob's hope for a quiet life with all of his sons around him, Jacob's home for a quiet life where he has finally settled in a land, Jacob's hope for a quiet life, are gone. Because there is a new dream, and it won't be convenient. And on this, Jacob's right. Without the dream, Joseph wouldn't have been thrown into an empty cistern. Without the dream, Joseph wouldn't have been sold by his brothers into slavery. Without the dream, Joseph wouldn't have been tossed into prison. Dreams aren't convenient. This is God saying, I'm going to do a new thing. And Jacob, understanding the inconvenience of dreams, is saying, please don't. Don't do a new thing. We are tired. We have been fighting. 
We might even walk around with a limp. We've been hit with financial burdens. We've been hit with toxic work environments. We've been hit with illness and disease. We've been hit with our own family drama. And all along we hear God's assurance, I am going to do a new thing. Sometimes, sometimes we're saying, oh, please don't. Because dreams, visions, callings, well, they're not convenient. It's because of a dream for a better family with successful children that mothers have found themselves working two jobs as a single parent in order to clothe and feed their children. It's because of a dream that teachers have found themselves walking down the white cinder block hallways of school wondering if that lesson on English punctuation will make any difference to even one child. It's because of a dream for success that many of us roll out of bed at five in the morning to get to work to answer that phone call and hold that meeting and answer a thousand emails. It's because of a dream for a close family that you drive to cities near and far to spend time with your children or to stay home with your spouse or your aging parents that need you to help tend and care for them. I've dreamed since I was very little of being a pastor. The road has not been smooth. I doubt that yours is either. Dreams are not convenient. They take up our time, our effort. We lose sleep over these things. We lose our tempers and our patience over these things. We are people who would rather have little parts of dreams, little hints of dreams. But whoa, God, that, that's, that's too much. That dream is too inconvenient. I'm going to need you to dial it back just a little bit. We are slivers kind of people. At every meal, my grandmother works her way around the buffet table and cautiously grabs a tiny bite of every dish. At a restaurant, she'll say, I just want a bite of that. At home, I just want a bite of that. I remember at one point in time, I had a bag of Sour Patch Kids. This is a candy that is really sour. And she said, I'd like a bite of that. And I told her no, because I knew she was not going to like it. Nevertheless, she wanted a bite of this. But what really gets me is that when it comes to dessert, she'll always ask for just a sliver of cake or pie. Just a sliver. If you serve her too much, she will say, oh no, that's too big, that's too much. Here's the problem. There are certain dishes on a table that you should never eat a sliver of, because, well, they're not very good. And there are other dishes on the table that you should never eat a sliver of because they are too good for that. When somebody makes a homemade red velvet cake with six layers and two pounds of cream cheese frosting and butter, you do not eat a sliver. It's worth eating at least one full slice. When someone makes a homemade blackberry pie with a brown sugar crumb topping, that is worth eating a full slice. But we are slivers kind of people. When the slice of God's dream is too inconvenient, we hold out our hands and say, What is that dream you had? It is too big. It's too much. 
So Jacob hears Joseph's dream and he can see that this will be inconvenient. The road to the dream won't be easy. So he rebukes Joseph for being naive. And he keeps the matter in mind. In other words, he took Joseph's dream and he stowed it away. He put it in his back pocket. Maybe he'll want that slice of cake later. But for now, it's sitting in Tupperware in the refrigerator. But it's not forgotten. Sitting there while God flavors the dream with divine attention. There's a woman in Guatemala who found a group of kids walking around the streets in the middle of the day. She stopped and asked, where do you guys go to school? They answered, we don't. So what did this lady do? She took it upon herself to open a school, one that the kids could afford, where they didn't have to buy their own uniforms, they didn't have to pay for transportation, they didn't even have to have money for lunch, one where the school worked to service every child regardless of financial income. The school now has 177 students. The teachers of this school are young. Many of the teachers that work there are still in the process of getting their teaching degrees. But these kids learn reading, writing, and arithmetic. They eat one hot meal in the afternoon. They're taught how to share, how to play, and how to sing. Convenient? Absolutely not. Opening this school was not convenient for this woman. It took her time, her resources. It took constant work, and it still does. She buys food for those kids out of her own money. She teaches the older kids because there isn't a teacher qualified to do so. And she's hired cooks to help feed them a meal. Convenient? Absolutely not. But this woman knew that this dream was God's dream, so convenience wasn't an issue. In fact, God's dreams aren't about convenience. They are about conviction. There are people in this church who care for their spouses when times get hard when plagued by physical illness or mental dementia. People in this church that I admire greatly for taking care of their spouses and parents and children. Convenient? No. Conviction? Yeah. This summer, this church is sending 11 people to Guatemala. I say this church because of the generosity of all of you. It is not convenient to take a week off of work or struggle to communicate in Spanish. It's not convenient to eat different food and spend a week off working. Convenient? No. Conviction? Yes. Parents work themselves into the ground to get their kids to ball practice, to school, and then to church and church functions. They believe in the power of children being raised on Christian standards. Convenient? No. Conviction? Absolutely. Students walk the hallways wearing t-shirts from Christian conferences. Students say no to peer pressure and try to remember the godly values they're learning at church. Convenient? No. Conviction? Yes. Our church has dreams of a children's ministry program, of working with room in the inn, of developing Mother's Day out, of investing in the lives of our youth, of deepening our own spiritual lives, of feeding this community with a food pantry, of caring for the sick and the homebound. Convenient? Absolutely not. But convenience isn't the issue. 
Joseph's dream doesn't depend on Joseph or even his brothers or even his father. The dream is God's, and one way or another, it was going to happen. At times, the dream we have may feel too big, like it's too much. We'd rather just have a sliver. But then God looks at us and says, But that is my dream. And it is not too big or too much for me. Let us pray. Lord, we recognize that you have dreams for our lives, that you have dreams for our families, and that you have dreams for this church. We ask that you would help us to be mindful and to be faithful, that we might follow wherever you may lead, looking at the dream, recognizing its inconvenience, and jumping in any way. Lord, might your gospel message be spread throughout the world because we are willing to take your dream and trust that you have it and that all we have to do is follow. We pray all of this in your holy and precious name. Amen.